Welcome to episode 274 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 274 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hey there. How was your trip? Amazing. I, I think that's the best the best way I can describe it. I think on a lot of levels that far too many of us don't take breaks from work. And for me, I was really like the entire time during the book launch, I kept saying to myself, if I can get till June 15th, if I can just get to June 15th. And then as soon as I got on that plane, I was so ready to disconnect and spend time with my family. And it was absolutely perfect. We had great weather. We ate amazing food. We saw amazing things. We had a lot of togetherness. 
I'm sure the teenagers would say that they loved it too, even though there was a lot of togetherness and a lot of disconnection from their electronics because we didn't allow them to have an international plan on their phones, which I thought was the best decision ever. My family is actually in Europe right now and they did get a plan. It's so funny how things have changed because I remember when they would go to Europe, you know, years ago. Now it just feels the exact same as them being here in the U.S. with the international plan. I didn't even have an international plan. That was my decision that I I really did not want to be that accessible. My husband has an international plan. So I kept saying, you know, anyone that was, you know, the dog sitters, the house sitters, anyone that needed to reach us, they could reach my husband. But I only had Wi-Fi in my hotel. And so it was wonderful. That's so nice. What was the highlight of the touring and everything that you saw? Oh, I think Prague. We started our journey in the Czech Republic. And if you, we as a family have all said the same thing, that Prague absolutely blew our minds. Like everything about it, the fact that we just really explored every square inch of the city and were able to do, you know, a laundry list of things that the kids had prioritized. And my youngest has been learning German. And so he's been really interested in going to Eastern Europe And he identified very specifically, as is his personality, things he wanted to do. And so we hit all the things that everyone wanted to do and just really enjoyed the culture and the people. And whether or not listeners know this about me or not, my first undergraduate degree was in international studies. So I had a foreign affairs degree and, you know, I was all pre-law and undergrad and got into law school and didn't go. But here's the big thing. I was in college when the Berlin Wall came down. I was in college when Eastern Bloc countries really started to dismantle. And to actually be there and to be able to ask people what it was like to live under communist rule and what it was like when the Soviets occupied a lot of these countries. For me, being a gigantic international studies nerd, I mean, it just... My kids were so embarrassed, like, please don't tell another person that you were in college when the Berlin Wall came down. Like, they were so embarrassed. But for me, I just savored every bit of it and loved the people. I mean, when you think about just the influence on architecture and the hardships that people have really grown up with, I found everyone in Prague to just be so gracious and humble and interested. And, you know, another thing that really impressed me was the support for those in the Ukraine throughout Eastern Europe. Everyone was happy to take in the refugees and there were a lot of demonstrations, very peaceful ones. But for me, I would say probably Prague. I was really surprised. It's like a very, very special place for all of us. And and I think it's really cool that my kids got to see so much history during this trip, not just in the Czech Republic, but throughout Eastern Europe. And here's a question for you related to the show, because Jen and I used to discuss this a lot. So how do you change or how do you adapt to your fasting and eating windows when you travel? Yeah, you know, it's a question I got so often that I just didn't ask me anything on Instagram because I was like, thank you for the 500 questions I've gotten in my DMs. I adopt kind of a, a more relaxed pattern And so it may be that I have a wider feeding window. I may do a longer fast. I definitely had days where I really wanted to travel and savor the foods of where we were traveling to. So I might have had something around breakfast time. I might have eaten something midday. I might have had a dinner. So I would say I allotted a lot of flexibility. We did a lot of walking. I mean, we were very physically active. So I wasn't worried if I was consuming more food because I I know for myself personally, it isn't dessert unless it's chocolate. And there's just not a lot of chocolate there. So for me, there wasn't the temptation of having dessert. It was more the one place where we traveled to, they would 
make me gluten-free bread, which I then felt obligated to eat, which I then slathered a lot of butter on. And so I just savored the fact that I was on vacation. So the honest answer is everything was a little different each day. I definitely had some days where I would, you know, have like, there might've been a day where I'd eat more than I normally did. So the next day I might've just fasted longer. And the thing that I found most humorous was, you know, obviously I have teenage boys, so they eat voluminous amounts of food 24 seven. And I would sit down and try to explain to a waiter or a wait staff that I wasn't eating. They were like, are you sick? are you on a diet? You know, and so finally it just said, no, I intermittent fast. And they were like, what is that? So it was a very easy way to make conversation with people. But I just found that I just leaned into my body. I made sure I hit those protein macros more often than I asked for extra protein. Anytime there was a steak served, I always asked for a bigger piece of steak, which they were humored to see. They're like, you really want more steak? And I was like, more steak. I think the message I would send to, you know, our community is to just be open to not being so strict on vacation. Like to me, I just enjoyed eating foods I don't normally eat and then not stressing about it because I was doing so much walking and I knew I could just augment what I was doing very easily. The next day, it's like, okay, yesterday I had gluten-free bread twice. Am I going to beat myself up? Absolutely not. Am I going to make sure I fast maybe a little bit longer today? And then I really lean into those non-starchy veggies and lots of protein? Absolutely. So I came back from vacation. I have not weighed myself, but my clothes fit the way they did before I left for vacation. And so from my perspective, it was a win-win without feeling any sense of guilt. And, you know, having a conversation with my kids all along the way, they think I'm weird anyway, that I don't eat as much food as they do. But just encouraging them, you know, try something new. I tried lots of new food. And I, I definitely felt like it was the perfect balance of having fun hitting most of my macros most days, you know, because I can kind of conventionally, visually evaluate, like, did I hit my protein macros? And then just enjoying the rest and not being super strict. But I'm also, I might be one of those people that's just unusual or odd that I, I, I've never been someone like I go on vacation and I blow the mother load on my nutrition because I just don't feel good. And it's more important to me that I sleep well and I feel good than it is that I eat something that I know isn't going to agree with me. So it's easy to kind of avoid those kinds of foods. And for me, those kinds of foods are generally alcohol and a lot of sweets. And in Eastern Europe, there just aren't a lot of sweets, at least not where we were. If they did, it was more like bread sweets, which just isn't really my thing anyway. But if they had showed me a lot of chocolate and I did indulge in some chocolate in Vienna, there was this amazing chocolatier that was there. And, you know, we got some tiny truffles, but they were like delicious. And I was like, that was worth it. But beyond that, unless it's chocolate, it's not dessert in my mind. Well, first of all, for me, for traveling, I haven't traveled that much recently, but the one thing I used to sort of dread before adopting a whole foods type lifestyle and and intermittent fasting, I would be the type that would just go crazy with all the food and everything. Now, I remember feeling so happy once I found a dietary approach that I genuinely, like I love the foods that I eat and I can still eat the way I eat at restaurants and such and still enjoy it to the same extent that I would have before with the way I used to eat. I'm super grateful that like it gets rid of like the one stress I had surrounding traveling, which was, you know, just going off the rails with diet because now I just, just keep doing what I'm doing. 
like with a jet lag and such, have you ever used fasting to align your circadian rhythm with the new time zone? Yeah, I mean, I definitely do that. And in fact, I'm the person on the plane that never eats. Uh, <laughs> and so you and me both. <laughs> Yeah, I don't eat on the plane. And I have to always just explain to, yes, I know they ordered me a gluten-free and dairy-free meat. Yes, I know that they did. I, I won't eat it. Thank you very much. And then they just look at me like I have two heads. But I just find that I do a whole lot better, especially if I'm not sleeping well on the plane. I didn't on the way to Prague. And we had like a two-hour... There was a whole, it's not It's not worth boring the listeners with the two-hour ground delay we had. We were on the plane and there was some maintenance form that hadn't been properly signed. And so we had to go back to the gate. So it ended up being a 10 hour flight. So by the time that we touched down in Prague, I hadn't slept much at all. And I always credit like hydration electrolytes and fasting for helping me get pretty quickly on schedule. And so for me, it's just one less thing to worry about. And then I'm not dealing with eating food that is not going to agree with me. Although I always travel with Paleo Valley beef jerky and salted macadamia nuts. And those are kind of, and a little bit of dark chocolate. Those are things I typically travel with. I mean, if I were, you know, exhausted and starving, I could have something. But I do think that utilization of fasting as an adjunct to improving jet lag, I think it's, I really credit it with being able to travel as much as we do and feeling like when I hit the ground, I don't have the, the degree of jet lag I used to have when I was younger, which you would think would be completely the opposite, seeing as I'm now older. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, the circadian biology, it's like get light exposure, get hydrated, get yourself moving. We did a lot of walking on the first day in Prague, like a lot. And I, I really credit that with everyone being able to like get on that schedule. It's only six hours ahead. I mean, it's manageable but not feeling quite as jet lagged as we could have been. I think it's such a valuable hack that a lot of people don't realize. And there's actually been studies on it. Like they've studied using fasting. I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I read it, but there was one on jet lag and using fasting patterns to basically alleviate those symptoms. Because like you said, they are such a, um, what, what's the word? They're a zeitgeist? Oh, no, 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 a, a zeitgeiber. <laughs> So basically something that informs your body of the time. <laughs> so um, you can travel and essentially adopt the pattern you would have had in your normal time zone and it can kind of sync your body to the new time zone. If I'm just traveling, because when I was in California, I would often travel back and forth between you know Eastern time zone and Pacific. And that's not a huge difference, but there was zero issue with switching back and forth. Like continental travel for me is like no issue because I just always stick to my window, which is an evening dinner. And I just basically reset my body wherever I go. Yeah. The, the fasting longer piece is usually how I do that. Like I'll be in Austin in a couple days and I already know, you know, I, I have an early morning flight. I'll land there at like 12 and my plan is to get off my flight I know exactly where I want to go for lunch. I'm going to have a big lunch and I'll, you know, break my fast, which will probably be fairly long, almost probably would guess closer to 24 hours at that point, but I'll break my fast so that I'll get on that time zone. I'll get as quickly as I can, because if you look at, you know, kind of conventional research on, you know, changing time zones, you need one day per hour of difference. Who has time for that? I don't have time for that. I know you don't have time for that. And so I do all the things to make sure I try my hardest to kind of buffer those time differences as quickly as possible. But I love that you 
you even at your stage, you're able to, you were able to go back and forth to the West Coast and then just kind of keep that consistency with your meal timing. Yeah, it was literally no issue doing that for me. So did you find, you mentioned that when you were in Prague and such, people would look at you strange with the fasting. So did you find that, because now in the US, I feel like fasting is kind of a known thing, intermittent fasting is. Did you find it wasn't as much of a thing there? No. And I think it has a lot to do with like Europeans overall, they eat smaller portions. So they don't understand like you ate last night, but now you're not hungry at all. You're hungry, but you're not going to eat. And so just trying to explain to them that this is this is not a diet, this is a lifestyle. And I do this so that I can enjoy all the other things I eat in my feeding window. And so I, I definitely felt like I had a lot of conversations, although ironically, for part of our trip, we were on a ship. Uh, there was a, a very large table of Americans sitting next to us. And I heard a woman say, oh, yeah, I've been using this new strategy. It's intermittent fasting. And so I heard that in my whole tape, like my kids and my husband, their ears kind of perked up. I was humored to kind of listen to her talk about this. And she was probably a woman, you know, at a different life stage than I am, but she was talking about it very openly and saying, this is how she has been able to, you know, fuel her lifestyle and feels good. And she was explaining it to the wait staff as well. And and so I, I feel like I was probably not the only one that talked to them about that, but they were fascinated. They were like, you choose not to eat, even though you could. And I was like, yes. And they're like, fascinating. I wonder... This is something I haven't looked up. I wonder if there are any other countries that... I feel like it's well-known in the UK because we have a lot of UK listeners in Canada. I wonder if there are any other countries that you know practice this as a lifestyle more and more. What's interesting is a lot of the Eastern European countries we were in are predominantly Roman Catholic, at least you know based on the guides that we had, discussions that we had. And so a lot of the major religions, it's an aspect of practicing their religion. So I, I would imagine that there's probably some degree of fasting, although it's probably more related to high holy days as opposed to something people are doing ritualistically every day. But I, I can tell you that when I talked about fasting with people who were curious they were like, wow. But what's interesting to me consistently, and I was in five different countries, people were much more active. And it could have also been that we were closer to cities and and where people are just more active to begin with. But I didn't see the amount of obesity we have here in the States. People were very active. Portions were small. You know, certain countries, there's a lot more smoking, but, you know, people were just more focused on enjoying lives, enjoying their lives. They don't work the same hours that Americans do. So I, I think that there's a lot more savoring experiences and their lifestyle. And, and of course, this is a gross generality. I was not in every square inch of each one of those five countries, but just my like general observations being a tourist, I was really you know pleasantly surprised to see that. And speaking to the religious piece, I'm actually currently reading. I, it's funny. I thought I had read the book, but I actually haven't. It's Jason Fung and Megan Ramos's Life in the Fasting Lane. So I'm, I'm enjoying that book. But I think it's in that book. They were saying they made the case that every single major religion has fasting in it. I was like, hmm. it really does. So it's it's interesting that that's you know when people try to oh it's new and novel. No, it's not. <laughs> it's always my. It dates back to biblical times, people. And beyond. Last question. So you're a chocolate person? I'm absolutely a dark chocolate aficionado snob slash patron. Love it. It's my one like vice. It's like the one thing my husband will say to my kids, 
don't touch anything of your mother's as it pertains to chocolate with asking, without asking her first. I'm always like, it's the only thing in the house that's mine. That's my mom too. I'm fascinated why there's a dichotomy between chocolate and vanilla. Like, why? Because that, that must just be cultural. You know, it's not like they're opposites in their compounds inside of them, but I am very much a vanilla person. I like vanilla, but I love chocolate. Like, I like chocolate, but I don't crave chocolate ever. I think I have like once and I was like, what does this mean? <laughs> well, that's why I always say to people like, you know, when our waiters would always offer, des- you know, dessert options, I was like, no, I'm good. And they were always like, we don't understand. And I said, unless it's chocolate, it's not dessert. That's my mentality. I've been that way my whole life. And it's not even a chocolate cookie, a chocolate cake. It's like, give me a piece of chocolate and my life is good. Like that is my mentality. And it's, Whereas, you know, my, my kids and my husband, if you give them ice cream, they don't need anything fancy. They would just love some ice cream. And so I, I think each one of us kind of in our minds designates, it's not, for me, it's not a craving. It's just, it's a polyphenol rich substance that if used appropriately is something that can be beneficial to your lifestyle. But for me, it's like, I'm not eating like a Hershey's chocolate bar. Like I don't even like that kind of chocolate. I... I'm a purveyor of higher end dark chocolate and I just have a little bit and I'm so happy. And in a pinch, I might have some stevia sweetened dark chocolate in a pinch. However, like that chocolatier in in Vienna, oh my gosh. I mean, I even took like photos, I took videos. It's all in my fasting stories, like little thing for Austria. Yeah, for me, it's like those are those are kinds of moments that like make me so happy. Like something really simple like that. I don't have to make it complicated. It doesn't have to be a you know black forest cake or some type of intricate lattice work on a pie. Nope, just give me a piece of dark chocolate and I'm happy. I'm very simple. I know listeners know exactly what my my equivalent is to that. Do you know what mine is? No, I don't. You have to tell me. Funfetti cake. Really? Yes. That's hilarious. Is it is it the moistness? Is it the little sprinkles? There's some chemical they have that just speaks to my brain, but anything like, yeah, the Funfetti cake. So any birthday cake with the Funfetti flair to it, it used to be a running thing on this show because I hadn't had it since changing my diet. And Jen was insistent, insistent that if I were to have it now, I wouldn't like it anymore. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like... It will taste amazing. And then finally I tried, they have a gluten-free version. So it wasn't even the original and it was like the most fantastic thing. Oh, here's a question. Did you do Zoe, the muffins? It's still in my my freezer and my husband is so mad at me because we just had a colleague of mine. They have a cow share and they had too much meat. So they gave us part of their cow share, which means we our freezer is completely packed with grass-fed meat. And my husband was like, please get rid of these. And I was like, I promise I'm going to do them. And he's like, you've been telling me that for three months. No, I need to do it. It's embarrassing. So I'm saying this to the entire IF podcast community. I will be doing that the month of July. I will be doing it at some two-day, one-day interval. It's coming up. I'm very excited to hear your experience. And we'll have to talk about it on the show. I have a theory about it though. And I polled my audience and my polling confirmed my theory, which is that so the muffins, people will talk about how they're like the worst tasting thing. I was looking at the 
ingredient list before doing it. And this, again, is something Jen and I would talk about. And I was like, I'm going to love these muffins. I can just tell like these muffins are going to taste like heaven. And they did. Cause this was the first time eating a sugar fat process combination. And probably, I don't even know how many years. And it was like, literally I saw my brain light up. It felt like a drug to me. And then I pulled in my Facebook group and I asked, did you like the muffins? There was like four options. It was like, I like the muffins and I don't normally eat processed foods. I like them and I do eat processed foods. I don't like them. And I, so every combination of that. And basically the people who don't normally eat processed foods like the muffins and people who do, do not. I'll be interested. I mean, I'm not a vanilla cake person. So here again, you can see like there has not been there this desire to eat said muffins, but I'm like, I have it. I'm going to do it. I'm probably going to have a love-hate experience with this because it's like three muffins is a lot. I was like, how am I going to eat all that? Especially because they're not chocolate. I was like, this is going to be a breeze. I was like licking the the foil. I was like, <laughs> I need more. Because then there's this miserable period where you can't eat for like so many. For- so for listeners, I'm just assuming listeners know what Zoe is because we talk about it all the time on the show. But it's a program created by Tim Spector, who I've had on Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. If you want to listen to that episode, have you interviewed him? I have not. And the, the reason why I have not is because I, I think I literally went through... I got them and then I had that whole histamine response, like head to toe hives after being treated for candida and parasites. And so then that put the kibosh on doing anything. And I explained to them, I was like, I had three days of systemic hives, something's amok. And so that got stabilized. And then I had surgery and I was not, because I you can't exercise when you eat those things. So I was like, there's no way I'm eating this and then being like completely sedentary. I mean, I've just had a million excuses which it's, I didn't mean to make excuses. It's just been a couple of things have happened that I've not been able to do it sooner, but it is on my to-do list. It will happen in the month of July. So I haven't had them on yet because I haven't done the testing. I had to explain to his assistant very nicely. I was like, I am so sorry. It will happen this summer and then we'll get them on in the fall. Hi friends. We are so honored to be sponsored in part today by Nutrisense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love Nutrisense, and here is why. Nutrisense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this. You have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a Nutrisense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes Nutrisense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. 
When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, NutriSense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at NutriSense.com slash podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's nutrisense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support, which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. Nutrisense.com slash IF podcast. And I am just so grateful to Nutrisense for helping support today's show. I really, really think his work is very nuanced. And I mean, he's very like plant-based and everything, but he just does a really nice, really, at least from my perspective, approaching as unbiased as you can be analysis of the literature. Like his chapter on wine and alcohol was... I mean, it's the first time I've I've read somebody basically, I mean, he talks about the role of wine and alcohol and health. And he, I mean, he literally says in the book that, and this is like very controversial, so I don't even want to say it, but even with like pregnancy, it's probably not as much of an issue as people think. But in any case, so for listeners, what the program is, is it's these muffins that you have and you wear a CGM, they provide you the CGM and it evaluates your how your body processes sugars and fats. You also do a gut microbiome test. Then it gives you a personalized interpretation of how you basically handle food and what foods you should be eating. I think I have a code for them. Have they given you a code yet? I'm the slacker that they're they're waiting on me to get my act together. So I, I will eventually have a code. My code is Melanie Avalon 10. Yours will probably be Cynthia Thurlow 10 because I think that's the format they use. One last thing about it though that's funny is, so when I looked at how you have to do it, because basically you, the first day you eat these muffins and then I think you have to wait like four or five hours. For me, they were a miserable four or five hours because you basically eat something that just spikes your blood sugar and then you have to fast. And it's so hard. I was like, this is what it's like to not be adapted to fast, like to live in the blood sugar swinging state. Eating a standard American diet. Yeah. mm -hmm. I was like, this is what this feels like. It gave me empathy for people who haven't experienced the ease of fasting yet, because I'm like, this is probably what they're thinking fasting would be, which is just really unpleasant. If you do a dinner only eating window like me, you can still hack it. (laughs) I started it at, I don't even know what I did. I timed it so that I still could eat my dinner pretty late and still have the muffin and sort of all be within the evening window. I think I was eating at like 2 a.m. Yeah, for me, it just the the thought of, because I am so protein centric, the thought of having something that I know is going to dysregulate my blood sugar so substantially, it's just not been, you know, the, the end of one experiment has not been the one I've been looking forward to doing. I'm like, okay, this is not going to make me feel good. You know, years ago before I started putting two and two together as a perimenopausal woman, 
I would say to my husband, you know, sometimes we would have these dinner parties and, you know, we would all eat good food. And then you'd have, I don't know, you know, back in the day when I could get away with eating a little more dessert and having a little more alcohol or having any alcohol. And then I would want to take a nap. And I didn't realize it's because my blood sugar had crashed. I was like, that's just not a good feeling. And so I'm going to think optimistically that I'm going to be able to weather whatever happens. But for me personally, as much like you do, I think because we eat such a nutrient-dense whole foods diet and keep our blood sugar really, you know, within a very healthy range, those extremes, you don't make you feel good. And so I need to just rip off the Band-Aid and do it. I was so apprehensive about doing it. What I do recommend is planning it out so that in that time following it, you have like an activity, like something very distracting. So, and you actually, fun fact, they might've changed this. I feel like I probably drove them crazy. I was asking them because they have really amazing customer service in the app when you're doing it and you can message and ask a lot of questions. And I asked so many questions. You technically, at least when I did it, don't have to do day two of the muffins. Just a little fun fact. Oh, I'll have to check that out because I have a package of three and a package of two and I just kept saying, good. Yeah. So at least when I did it, day two did not inform your personal results. It only informed their data collection. So I was like, well, (laughs) if it's not affecting me, I don't know if I'm going to... But then actually I did end up doing it because they were so delicious. And I was like, I want to repeat this experience. Your funfetti, Zoe. That's hilarious. So yeah. So for listeners, we'll put a link to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Okay. Shall we answer some listener questions? Absolutely. All right. So to start things off, we have a question from Deanna. And the subject is IF and the aging menstrual cycle. And Deanna says, Hi, I have tried to search for answers on this. I Googled, but I'm not finding any info from actual IFers. Only what Western medicine has to say. I've been doing IF for about three months. I started in February. I was really surprised at how simple it was right from the start. I thought, wow, I have finally found something that works, is totally doable, and actually sustainable. Yay. I have been clean fasting since day three, which is when I learned what it was. Even the black coffee was a fairly easy transition. I originally thought it would be totally impossible and wasn't even going to try it, but I did, and now I crave my black coffee. I'm still amazed. That was one month in. One month ago, I experienced some cramping and a very short spell of bleeding. It stopped after a couple of days and it wasn't heavy at all. It was somewhere between spotting and light. But now, a few days ago, cramping again. Nothing sharp, but dull and constant. And the bleeding started again, but heavier this time around. Also a longer duration, four days so far. I thought maybe I'd worked too hard. I'd raked and burned leaves all day, Saturday and Sunday for 15 hours. I'm 52 years old. I had an IUD placed in January of 2018. I stopped getting a period entirely early, mid-2020, which was awesome. I was told at the time of the IUD that I was in perimenopause and that by the time it would need to be removed, it's a five-year thing, I would likely be in menopause and would probably not have a period anymore. What are your thoughts about my resurrected period? I have a doctor appointment this week. It's about something else entirely, but I will bring this up. I'm just afraid the doctor will poo-poo my IF lifestyle. I feel like IF has to be a part of what's happening, but I was hoping it was just making me age in reverse. Ha ha, could that be true? I think it sounds reasonable. I would love to hear what you think about all of this. 
I know I can't possibly be the only one that has had this issue, but I asked in my IF Facebook group and everyone thought it was really odd. They had never heard of such a thing and they all told me to contact my doctor. I'll be watching for a podcast about this, but if you don't, no worries. I'll keep reading and searching for answers. Thank you for your time, Deanna. So this is a fun, interesting question. Yeah, well, I I have multiple thoughts. So Deanna, thank you for your question. And being 52 years of age, here in the United States, the average age of menopause is 51. And when your doctor placed, I presume, a progesterone-related IUD, so intrauterine device, you mentioned that you went two years without any bleeding. Whether or not that is a byproduct of the IUD, I'm not sure. Could that have been menopause already? Not sure. And then you started having more bleeding. You know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence about women when they start fasting, sometimes they may get changes in their menstrual cycle, either lighter, heavier, more frequently, less frequently. And I always kind of give women the advice that, you know, to kind of weather whatever is happening, meaning it could be your body just finding a way to recalibrate hormones in a healthy way, really the only way to know where you are. And at 52, you're very close to menopause. And and what we typically end up seeing is as women are at the tail end of perimenopause, for anyone's listening, 10 to 15 years preceding menopause starts in your mid-30s, mid to late 30s, you're there. And this is when we start to get this drop off on progesterone. We get some relative estrogen dominance. And women can have very different experiences in perimenopause. Some people breeze through it very easily. Others really struggle. There are a variety of reasons. So when you see your doctor, I would absolutely identify that you hadn't had any type of bleeding or cycles in about two years. And whether or not that's a byproduct of the IUD, I'm not 100% certain. I have plenty of patients that don't get menstrual cycles while they're on the IUD. I have others that do sometimes have some ovulatory discomfort. Although the closer you get to menopause, you're not ovulating every month. So could this have just been a quirky, you know, ovulatory period? Absolutely. But your doctor needs to run some labs. I actually have done quite a few podcasts on these kinds of topics. So if you're not a listener of Everyday Wellness, most recently I did two podcasts with Dr. Tabitha Barber. She's called the Gutsy Gynecologist. She's absolutely lovely. And we talked about topics just like this. How do we find out where we are in perimenopause? Are we in menopause? What's going on? The IUD is just a Band-Aid. So it, it can really mask knowing when that transitional period has occurred. So they can draw an FSH, a follicular stimulating hormone. Typically that needs to be drawn at least on two separate occasions. This is uh, communication between the brain, the ovaries, and typically when it's greater than 40 on two separate occasions, that can be a sign, it's not definitive, that you are very close to menopause. You can look at a Dutch, a dried urine and saliva test, and I've done a lot of podcasts with different experts talking about the Dutch and the validity of that. But I, I think this is just one of those times where As your body is getting better balance, you're probably getting more insulin sensitivity, probably getting a little bit better balance when your sex hormones and better appetite regulation. You may see some changes in your menstrual cycle, but this is one of those kind of vague kind of questions, meaning not that you haven't given enough information. It's just we need more information to be able to provide additional insights. But I would say Dr. Tabitha it was a recent favorite. I actually did a podcast with Dr. Sarah Gottfried recently. But if you do a Google search on my website, it'll bring up all the perimenopause and menopause-related podcasts that I've done. 
And I can tell you from personal experience that a lot of women go from having super regular cycles to then having none. I've had women who, as they get closer and closer to menopause, I've had a lot of other women that just start having more and more regular cycles, heavier, lighter, shorter, more frequent. And for each one of us, it's really very unique. Sometimes we can talk to our mothers to see what their experiences were like, but average age of menopause in the United States is 51. So it's very likely you're very close to that period. Good luck. Do you have anything you want to add, Melanie? Well, first of all, I just knew that you'd be a wealth of knowledge about all of that. I'll just add two really quick things. I did find one really interesting review, especially because Deanna says she wants, she likes reading and researching. It's called Menstrual Cycle Variability and the Perimenopause. And it just talks about this whole transition and process and why, why those fluctuations might be happening. And I always think it's funny when there's what's the word? Colloquial language, like very casual language. So the the abstract is very scientific. It says, quote, another hypothesis is that the increased variability and that variability being the, the changes in your cycle reflects, quote, slippage of the hypothalamus, which loses the ability to regulate menstrual cycles at older reproductive ages. So basically the hypothalamus, because it talks about how the dwindling pool of follicles is changing and creating changes. And I just love this concept of the hypothalamus I mean, I don't know if I love the concept, but it's a funny concept to me that the hypothalamus is kind of just... It's like a slipped gear. It's like, yeah, it's like not quite... (laughs) It's like not quite handling uh, the signals that are coming in and not quite sure what's going on, which would make sense with something like hormonal birth control or an IUD um, affecting those hormones and further exacerbating how the hypothalamus is interpreting what's going on. So that would make sense. Do you want to know something interesting? So in my book, I actually talk about the five phases of perimenopause because there's just not enough research done in this area, but I'm getting ready to interview Dr. Lara Bryden. And there's some research to show that if you're on oral contraceptives for years and years and years, like many of us were, including myself, that it may actually hasten going into menopause. So it's like, it's something that I'm going to talk to her about in greater detail, but the use of synthetic hormones may actually you know, shorten that duration of reproductive years. So I thought that was really interesting. And for listeners, once I interview her, I will then feel more comfortable talking about that. But I do talk about in my book about perimenopause pretty extensively that there are these kind of five identified phases of perimenopause. Do all of us go through each one of those neatly and nicely? Probably not. But I love that you brought up the interrelationship between the HPA axis or HPO, hypothalamus pituitary ovarian axis. There are always constant communication and it's like a slipped gear that, you know, it's was working efficiently and now it's like slipping a gear on a bike. That actually reminds me of, I would be curious if you have any thoughts on this. I interviewed Simon Hill this week. Do you know him? I don't. Proof is in the plant sky. He's really big in the the vegan sphere. He was so nice. It was a really good episode. One of the things we were talking about, I don't remember why this came up, but we were talking about the role of reproduction evolutionarily and how basically our bodies, like the goal in our body from an evolutionary perspective is to have a child. And so what I was wondering, and I don't know if they've done studies on this and I haven't looked into this, but I wonder if you've had a child and you control for, let's assume that like you have a, a child and you return afterwards, you regain your metabolic health to the same extent that you had it before. So like a healthy person who's 
equal levels of quote health on both sides of a pregnancy, is her lifespan going to be shorter because she's accomplished the goal compared to a woman who never has a child? If you haven't had a child, is the body still kind of like, we can do this? These are these deep questions that Melanie comes up with. I'm like, I don't even know which angle to hit that from. You know, it's interesting because you'll see like certain types of cancers are more prevalent in nulliparous, which means women who have not had a child. Oh, what's that word? Wait, I need this word in my vocabulary. Nulliparous. Yes, it's it's one of those like weird, awkward medical words. Nulliparous, it's an, a noun, like I am nulliparous or it's an adjective. No, no, I, I am nulliparous. Or we would talk about a patient, you know, this is a nulliparous female. Oh, so adjective. Yeah. From my perspective, like looking at it from the perspective of whether it's by choice or someone tried and couldn't, you know, does that put them at greater risk for certain types of disorders, cancers, et cetera? So I, I come at it from a different angle. But, and this is the thing I love about Melanie as my friend is that she comes up with such creative, interesting, refreshing takes on topics, maybe that I had never even thought of. Thank you. One of the things I love about you, I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought about that before. I love that you love engaging with the, with the content. All right, don't, <laughs> not just like, okay. <laughs> no, that's part of critically thinking. It's, it's, you know, putting those thoughts out there. So when I asked Simon about it, it wasn't the first time I thought about it. I think I thought about it a lot because I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think I'm going to have children. And so I'm so obsessed with longevity. I've thought about this concept a lot. Is this like hurting or helping my longevity? I think I would probably guess it might help your longevity. And I love my children. Let me be very clear. I was meant to be a mom. I'm happy being a mom. But there are moments in my children's lives that I know have hastened my longevity. And I say this with love and reverence. I have a child who fell out of a second story window when he was two and had no injuries. Said same child when he was 10 years old. 10? Yeah, it was four years ago. 10 years old coming back from all-stars practice for swimming, fell off his bike and broke both his arms and needed like emergency surgery and walked in the house and his arms were concave. And I was like, if any child has hastened my life, it's this kid. So I have no doubt, you know, there, there have been moments as a parent that have been terrifying and have likely killed off a lot of telomere length and given me gray hair that I now pay copious amounts to cover up. And that's a whole separate topic. But yeah, I would imagine it would probably help your longevity, Melody. That's my guess. Oh my goodness. Two quick things. One, he fell out of a two-story window. Yes. So to give context to this conversation, this was the same week after his brother had fallen and broken his arm and we had to take a ambulance to a tertiary care center because the hospital near my house would not reduce his fracture. So like I was already like my anxiety levels as a clinician were through the roof. Yes. And this child who's, we call him like MacGyver, he managed to open up a window out of curiosity, was looking at something outside, pushed the screen and fell out two stories. Did you see him fall out? I did. I was sitting in the den and I saw a flash of red And it was my two-year-old. And it was the worst thing that's ever happened to us. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And so so for listeners, he was fine. There was an ER physician walking her dog who was at his side and called EMS. So I, I can get very emotional thinking about it. 
he was okay. We spent, you know, two days in the PICU and everyone was like amazed this kid did okay. And from that point forward, I was like, this kid is going to do big things because (laughs) this could have ended very differently. And I was an ER nurse, a trauma nurse. So I've seen lots of horrible things happen with kids falling out of windows And the house that we lived in in the time, any other window, if he had fallen out, if he would have fallen on something hard. What did he fall onto? Grass. We had a bay window. And so he must have pitched himself in such a way that he bounced off of this other window and then fell into the grass. And it had rained the night before, so the ground was soft. Was he um, like all scraped up? He had a scratch on his toe. So when I I say my kid is meant to do big things, (laughs) I have... No doubt. But for the longest time, anytime I I heard an ambulance or a fire truck, because the ER doc who was at my son's side said, if it were really bad, I would have called a chopper. And she's like, you know that. And I was just like, whoa, as a parent. So yeah. And then the kid, when he was 10, fell and broke both his arms and had to go in for major, he has plates and and rods in his arms because he did such a bang up job. So I've told him, I was like, Liam, I can't handle another big thing. You've kind of like done it all. Yeah. So I I think that being a parent is, is a wild ride and one that I'm grateful for, (laughs) but I can speak from two experiences being a parent that have definitely aged my husband and I, we joke about it. We're like, yeah, he keeps us on our toes. And actually that's why we don't have any more children. We're like, that was God's way of telling us we were done. We have our hands full and he reminds us of that every day, why he would never have been a middle child. Wow. Well, the, the second thing that reminded me of was last night, I listened to Rhonda Patrick's newest episode. It's with a guy named Stuart Phillips. Yes, I need to listen to that. So I really recommend it for listeners. It's a deep dive into protein intake and muscle. Really, really fascinating. A lot of stuff we talk about on this show, they talk about, do you really need the amount of protein that they say. And he argues that, yes, that dietary recommendations should not be called recommendations. They should be called like minimal intakes. But he was talking about how, why when you're very young, you break a bone or something happens and kids just, they don't need rehab or anything. They just, the body fixes itself. And then when you're older, not so much. (laughs) Um, So he just talks about that concept. So I can put a link to it in the show notes. All right. Shall we do one more question? Absolutely. So this comes from Monica. Subject is magnesium question. Can you share your favorite magnesium brand for sleep? I was using magnesium complex by nature's way. I ran out and I couldn't find it and used another brand and don't really care for it. Before I go looking for the nature's way, I wanted to see what you recommended. Thank you. All right, Monica. Thank you for your question. I always, <laughs> I always want to laugh when I get questions like this that are so perfect for what's happening in my life product-wise. I feel like, Cynthia, I have to fill you in on all the inside jokes on this show. Jen and I used to to laugh because we one time we got an email from somebody who basically accused us of creating questions, like, like making up questions to plug products or whatever. And we were like, if people knew how many questions we'd get, they would realize we don't ever have, we would never need (laughs) to create a question. We have hundreds of questions. But in any case, I did want to time this for this episode because I am currently this week. So when this comes out, it will have already happened. But right now, like the moment I'm in right now, we are launching my magnesium supplement this week, which is so, so exciting. It's been such a long journey. So that's with MD Logic, 
my first one, the Avalon X Serapeptase. So this is Avalon X Magnesium 8, and then in parentheses, broad spectrum complex. I know Monica's asking about sleep, and I'm going to speak to that specifically because there is a certain type of magnesium that is better for sleep, but just in general, magnesium and my my head has been like literally yesterday was just magnesium like all day <laughs> researching and writing and getting together promo material but but basically if you go into the literature on magnesium it is shocking the extent to which this mineral is crucial for so many processes in our body they used to say over 300 enzymatic processes but i found a really recent article i think 20 i think 2022 saying actually now it's over 600 so it's involved in basically every single cell. So a third of the magnesium is in our cells, two thirds is in our bones. Less than 1% is actually in our bloodstream. And the significance of that is on top of that, it's actually highly controlled in our bloodstream. It's sort, it's sort of like calcium. It's sort of like how um, people will say that a certain diet might not affect your calcium levels and you can get a, like a blood test and look at your calcium. But pretty much your blood calcium is probably always going to be in normal range. Like things have to be really off to for it not to be. And the same is with magnesium because so little of it is actually in the bloodstream. It, it might not be reflective of underlying deficiencies. So it's so important. It's involved in energy production, creating ATP in the mitochondria. It helps create glutathione so it can serve as an antioxidant. And then cardiovascular health, bone health, blood sugar control, muscle recovery, so many things. And of course, sleep and mood. The Avalon X, which, oh, it's so exciting. You can buy this now. It is available. So Avalon X Magnesium 8 will be great for all of that. It will also support sleep. So Monica, definitely, definitely try that. On top of that, there's a certain type of magnesium called Magnesium 3 and 8. And it is actually a type of magnesium that specifically crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it has an even more potent effect on sleep and relaxation. So that would be something to consider. I'm going to be releasing a magnesium three and eight probably next. So stay tuned for that. I think we're going to call it like magnesium nightcap or something. And the reason three and eight is not in my blend is because you actually need a pretty high dose to get that therapeutic effect. And so we wanted it to be like a separate add-on type thing. But yeah, so basically, Monica, my recommendation is getting my Magnesium Spectrum 8 and then the Nightcap when it's available. And you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon and that will get you 10% off. So that was a lot about magnesium. Cynthia, do you take magnesium? I do. I do. And and with my background in cardiology, I'm very mag savvy and I'm super excited about your new product. But if Monica is looking for something right now specific to mag L3 and 8 while you are waiting for your next product to come out, I like designs for health. And you're right, you do need quite a bit in order for it to be properly therapeutic, but that's that's actually the product I take before bed. I do take other types of magnesium during the day. And I also fervently believe that people need both oral and transdermal magnesium to be able to absorb it properly. So the, the product that I recommended to my cardiology, my electrophysiology patients, so people that were dealing with you know, palpitations and had defibrillators and pacemakers and all sorts of electrical issues with their heart, when I could get their magnesium levels more therapeutic, and then this started to work into all of my work with everyone, everyone needs magnesium. There's no one listening who does not need repletion. We lose it when we're stressed. 
We lose it if we're having diarrhea, if we're having like an acute illness. Certainly when you travel, you're losing electrolytes. And so I'm a big fan of transdermal applications. And so there's a company called Ancient Minerals. I have no affiliation with them. I just think they have high quality. I've used them before. Yeah, they have a spray, they have well, they have sprays, they have lotions. I typically recommend people spray, you know, the, the oil is my first choice, couple pumps into two hands, rub it on your trunk, your arms and legs, leave it on for 20 minutes, use it before you get in the shower, you need about 20 minutes for absorption. But when people do both of those things, they supplement with oral magnesium and they also use transdermal magnesium, they find that that is like the perfect combination. And for a lot of people, they need the additional layer of mag, literally layer of magnesium to help them with sleep quality. Now, I'll be completely honest and say that when we get questions about sleep, there's so much that goes into sleep. Maybe we'll have to do a whole separate, we'll have to do a whole episode just talking about sleep modalities because there are so many things that can impact our sleep quality. And I know Melanie and I are very, very proactive about our sleep. And I, I feel like I have maybe finally for myself, found the right combinations and the right things that I do prior to bedtime and right before I go to bed that have really netted an impressive amount of improved sleep quality measured by Oura Ring data, et cetera. But I do think that using that two-pronged approach with magnesium is generally what I recommend. So transdermal and oral therapies. Sounds like Melanie has an amazing option right now. Magnesium L3 and 8 is the thing I think is so helpful for sleep and then using transdermal magnesium as well. Is it true? They say that this is why you experience this and I experience this, that the if you put on the transdermal and it stings, they say it's because your skin is like sucking it in so fast that that's why it stings. Do you know if that's true? Well, what I used to tell patients was that it was just validating that they needed more magnesium. Now, there are definitely people who are sensitive to magnesium. Like they'll feel tingly and it's uncomfortable. Like t- like a little bit of tingle is expected. Really tingly, like uncomfortable. Mine was painful. Yeah. So, so those people sometimes need the sensitive skin varieties of which Ancient Minerals has plenty of options. But I usually tell people it's just validation that you need to do this more often. So if you can tolerate, obviously don't shave your skin and put it on like that would be torturing yourself but you know put it you know 20 minutes in your bathroom with your privacy then jump in the shower some people don't like how it feels a little oily and i always say just do it before i used to do it before i would take a bath i would literally just load up do whatever i needed to do for bedtime then get in the tub then i would soak in more magnesium i'm a little magnesium crazy like i'll admit after all the impressive things I saw at Improving Patients, I was like, this is something I need to commit to doing regularly. But yeah, the tingle is generally a sign that needed the repletion. Gotcha. I'm glad you brought up, because I didn't even touch on how our modern lifestyles deplete our magnesium and... Magnesium depleted soil. I mean, just think about it. You could be eating all organic and you're just not getting the same nutrient profile that you, our grandparents did. It's just impossible. And if you're eating conventional, specifically glyphosate chelates minerals, I know it can be controversial to talk about glyphosate. I literally read this in the, the PubMed <laughs> scientific article I was reading. Have you interviewed Jeffrey Smith yet? No, ever since. <laughs> I feel so bad. I actually had it on my list to follow up with him for listeners. He's a, a wealth of knowledge about GMOs, right? And glyphosate and such. We'll plug my podcast with him. But I interviewed him. And the first thing I said to Melanie after I finished was you need to interview him. Like he was just 
everything you wanted to know about GMOs, glyphosate in a way that is designed to educate and empower and not scare the bejeebers out of you. So what happened with that was he he reached out to me, independent of all of this, and wanted to come on the show. And I got really excited because I saw he had books on GMOs. And I was like, yes, I would love to do an episode on GMOs. And then his people said, well, we really want to focus on his current work, which was a little bit political and based on current events. So I was like, I just don't know if it's the best fit right now because this was this was a while ago and this was kind of in the heat of, you know, a lot of political stuff. I don't think I really realized who he was. And if so, I think I would have handled that differently. And I reached back out to him ever since you told me about it, but I, I haven't heard back. So I need to reach out again because I really want to interview him now. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right. I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands. And it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order. So you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. 
I think you'd really like him. I know your your listeners would really enjoy that conversation too. Yeah, so to-do list. And then I will say just one last thing before we go. So all the supplements that I make, I really wanted to make the best form of the supplements on the market and only what I would want to put in my body. So it's free of all potentially problematic fillers. It's tested for allergens, super high quality. It has activated cofactors to help absorption. So it has methylated B6 and then it has chelated manganese because magnesium can actually like reduce your, your manganese levels. So it's to help with that. So definitely the way to go. And that is again, avalonx.us, not to sound like a commercial, but this was absolutely amazing. I, I've missed talking to you, Cynthia, because it's been, it's been so long. I know, I know. But the cool thing is, you know, we're recording a second episode right after this. I know. <laughs> so here we go. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. You can follow us on Instagram. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. And we are I have podcast on Instagram. And I think I'll open up next week with something that we're talking about sleep. I've started using something that has had, I think, has had a massive influence on my aura ring. So maybe we can, maybe I'll start with that. All right. Well, for listeners, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I'll talk to you next week but I'll actually talk to you right now. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.